0: question for you this morning, how I'm going to start my message off. If someone comes up to you and says, what's so great about Jesus? Or, why do I need Jesus? What would you say to them? Somebody came up to you off the cuff, you weren't prepared, you're at work, and somebody says, um, why do I need Jesus? What's so great about your God? What, what does he offer that I don't already have? What would you say? What would you say? What would you say? The title of my message this morning is is Fullness, Forgiveness, and Freedom. I'm gonna repeat that. Fullness, oh, it's on the screen. Fullness, forgiveness, and freedom. As I was studying this passage this week, I gotta be straight up with you, I wanted to get saved all over again. Because it was so good, and it's so rich, and it's so deep. It's amazing. So turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 23. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 23. We're finishing up Colossians chapter 2 this morning. In our our verse-by-verse study of the book of Colossians. What an amazing book. What an amazing book. This given to us to to fight heresy, to, to combat false teaching, and at the same time, it's is given to us to show us the glory of Jesus Christ and to show the value of Jesus. What an amazing book. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. As we look at it now, Lord, let these truths sink deep into our hearts as we study it verse by verse. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. The first thing we're going to look at that Jesus offers is called fullness. Jesus offers us fullness. Look at verse 9. Let's read verses 9 and 10. He says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. What is Paul saying here to us? What is the scripture saying to us here? It's saying this that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is deity, that Jesus Christ is the great I Am. He says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's how verse 9 starts off. You have to put verses 9 and 10 together because the way verse 9 begins, it also comes back to it at the end of verse 10 where, where he says it there at the end of verse 10. He says, he is the head over all rule and authority. Not just over the church, but he, he's the head over all. Underline that word all. It means everything. He's over all rule, all authority. He's over all the universe. He's over the church. He's over the world. He's over every molecular structure in the universe is what it's saying. And what it's saying to us is that this, there is no one else that is equal or greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying when he says he's the head over all. I like how Paul just says all rule and all authority. He he possesses all authority and all rule. And I said that Jesus Christ brings fullness. Look look what Paul puts right in the middle. Um, Halfway through, um, actually, I'm sorry, at the beginning of verse 10, he says, in the middle, he says, in him you are. Have been made complete. You have been made, you have been made complete. And notice it's, it's past tense. It's not like you're being made complete. He says, you have been made complete. The, the, uh, the phrase made, uh, made complete, the Greek is palero. It means to be filled, to be brought to fullness, to be made complete in every way according to the blueletterbible.com definition. Ask you a question this morning. When you look at yourself, what do you see? Honestly, when you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see your imperfections? I'm with you. Do you see your failures? Do you see your weaknesses? I got good news for you this morning. That's not how God sees you. That's not how God sees you. The Father, the Father sees you as complete. Because you have the fullness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 10. In him you have been made complete. In his past tense, it happened at salvation. He sees you in his perfect righteousness through his Son's death on the cross. Fullness does not mean... Uh, full, full, better yet, fullness means we have complete righteousness. So it's not only filled with the Spirit but we have complete righteousness in us. We're not partially saved. We are completely saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have righteousness. That word righteousness means we have a right standing with God. We have what it takes on the inside of us to, be, to stand before God and, and, and to, to, be, to be able to go to heaven or to be in a right standing before him. Fullness does not mean perfect. Let me repeat that. When you have the fullness of Christ in you, it does not mean you're perfect. First John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Christians struggle, Christians sin, Christians blow it along the way, along the way. But what it does mean is, is, is that we're we're perfect in righteousness, not in character. That's why I say Christians still sin. That's why you and I as believers who've crossed the threshold of of salvation, what do we need? We need grace. We we need grace. We need his grace to work in our lives. When I think about this, and I was looking at this this week, I couldn't help but to think of the thief on the cross. I couldn't help but to think of the thief on the cross. The moment he put his faith in Jesus Christ, he was made complete. I wonder if the thief on the cross would have been pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. I wonder if the thief on the cross would have been a Calvinist or Arminian. I wonder what the thief on the cross would have thought about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, be honest with you, my friend, it doesn't matter because he was complete in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, today you shall be with me in paradise because he had faith in Jesus Christ. And my friend, when you and I, us being in Christ Jesus, uh, being believers in him and followers of Jesus Christ, we are made full. We are made complete. Why? Because there's no one equal or greater than him. Uh, just one more time before we move on. In verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And verse 10, excuse me. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and all authority. We have completeness in Jesus Christ. That's what he offers this world. He offers us to be made complete. You know, uh, I think it's anthropology, is the study of human beings, I believe that's what they call it. But, you know, we're creatures of habit. We want to cling to things. We want to find our identity in things. But all the things in this world are passing. But when we find our identity in Christ Jesus, that fullness that we receive, that completeness that we receive, it stays with us for life. And our hearts are content in his truth, in his love, in his grace. Amen? So that's, that's number one. Christ. Offers people fullness, completeness, based on verse 10. Now, let's look at forgiveness. He offers us forgiveness, verses 11 through 14. Verses 11 through 14, now, um, some of these are going to overlap, okay? But I want to give you four components. I want to give you uh, four things that I see that forgiveness brings. When, When we talk about forgiveness, what are we talking about? We're talking about salvation. We're talking about our salvation in Christ. And in forgiveness, God, God, there's four things that happen. Let's take a look at them. One is in each verse, one in verse 11, one in verse 12, one in verse 13, and one in verse 14. And I love verse 14. I can't wait to get to that one. But anyway, let's look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of of Christ in forgiveness the first thing that happens is this we receive a new heart we receive a new heart the old sinful nature the old sinful flesh the old sinful man the old sinful man is removed the old sinful nature is removed and we receive a new heart God when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior he literally throws you up on the surgical table and he goes in And he does heart surgery. He does flesh surgery. Before I came to Christ, I had no desire for the things of the Lord. I had no desire for church, no desire for Jesus, no desire for none of this stuff. What I needed was a heart change. I needed a a, a surgery. I needed that old flesh taken out and a new heart placed within. And in that new heart, we're given new desires. It was like, after I got saved, I was like, oh, I can't get enough Bible study. I can't get enough church. I can't get enough fellowship. I can't wait to get in and and, and learn more and more about about the Bible. Because this new heart that used to love sin and love the things of the world had been taken out. And the new heart was placed in. And he loved the things of the Lord. Listen to Ezekiel um, 36, 26. This is a, a promise to the nation of Israel being restored one day in the future. The still yet future when there's a, when there will be a, uh, after the tribulation in the millennial reign of Christ but it, it's a picture of what God's going to do in their heart but he's done it in our heart today now in salvation Ezekiel 36:26 says moreover I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh is that not a beautiful picture from the old testament of what salvation is I will give you a new heart. He gives us a new heart, new desires. So number one, the first thing that happens when a person is forgiven is you get a new heart on the inside. And in that heart, you have new desires and new passions. You leave the world behind. I have no longer a desire for sin and fornication and lying, but I'm loving righteousness And I'm loving the things of the Lord, and I just can't wait to dig into them. And I can't wait to evangelize, and I can't wait to go to the prayer meeting because my heart is drawn to those things. Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, I'll read it, and maybe you can pick up on what my, my point is, but I'll give it to you after I read the verse. Verse 12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead the second thing that forgiveness brings is we receive a new life we a resurrection takes place a resurrection takes place when you become born again the old man dies the old life the old way of living the old way of doing things dies and a new life comes you're raised to new life you know in the tangible world that we see because You have new desires, new priorities, new directions. Paul makes reference in here to baptism, water baptism. What a beautiful picture of salvation. The person goes goes down into the water. It's the old man dying. And then he comes up, and it's the new man rising. What is water baptism? It's a proclamation to the world of what has taken place on the inside of this new life. Of, the, of this new dimension that we're living in called Christianity. My friend, if you're not a believer, you don't, have, you don't have to be the same. You don't have to live in the same rut. You know, God, yes, he saves our soul, but he also saves us on the outside in how we live everyday life. That's what he does. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here it is, the new creation has come, the old has gone and the new has come. You know, it, it, it affects our life when we, when we become forgiven. So we receive a new heart. We receive a new life. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, talking about Jesus, made you alive together with him, having, here it is, guys, here's my point, forgiven us, of all our transgressions. My third point on forgiveness this morning, what takes place when you receive salvation, is your forgiveness is complete. Your forgiveness is complete. Okay? Past sin, present sin, and guess what? Even your future sin, you're forgiven of everything. Every sin I've ever committed was taken to the cross. It was taken to the cross And it was placed on him. And there's not one. Jesus is omniscient, almighty, all-knowing. He knows everything about us. He knows every little detail of our life, including our sin. But check this out. He's forgiven it all. At the end of verse 13, just underline it if you you do. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. This lines up with um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, he made him who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took, when, I, when as, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he is taking your old garment of sin. The, I believe the Father does. And he's placed it on Jesus. That's, what, that's what's taking place. He's taking Christ's righteousness and he's placed it on you. How awesome is that? What can, what can beat that? And It's complete. It's complete. Say it one more time. It's complete. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we're in Christ, we're walking in Christ, there's no condemnation. Now what happens when a believer does sin? Because believers sin. We need to confess it. You know, don't ignore it. Confess it. 1 John one nine says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our sins. I do not believe you lose your salvation. You know, I, I believe... What happens is, positionally, positionally before God, you are saved. You are justified. You're in a right relationship with him. But after a Christian continues in their life and they sin, it starts affecting your relationship with him. And relationally, it can come between you and the Lord. And relationally, it can separate you. That's why the Bible says, to repent for times of refreshing will come from the Lord. is what the book of Acts says. Positionally, we're forgiven. And that is amazing. So in, in, in talking about forgiveness, verse 11, receives a new heart. Verse 12, we get this new life. Verse 13, it's complete. It's complete. Now let's look at verse 14. He says, And having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is the one I, I want to go here for a little bit. I want to I park here for a little bit at verse 14. And I want to talk about this. Every single human being that lives on this earth, that verse says, has a certificate of debt. Before you came to Christ, you had. A certificate of debt. If you haven't come to Christ, you have a certificate of debt now. And according to verse 14, it's issued by God's law. The accuser is God's law. And look at verse 14. It says, the decrees are against you. And it says the decrees, what does it say? The NASB says, they are hostile to me. What is he talking about here? What is this certificate of debt? All humanity has a certificate of debt issued to them by God's law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. So we have the Ten Commandments. I want to read them to you. I'm going to judge myself. But the certificate of debt that was issued to me by God's law was this. The first commandment says, you shall have no other God before me. David, have you kept that commandment? No. I've broken that law. I have broken that law. I have not always placed God first in my life. The second commandment says you shall, have, you shall not bow down to any graven images. You shall not create any imaginations or any thoughts of who God is. I broke it every day for 20 plus years. Because God, the, God, the God in my mind was comfortable with my sin. He was comfortable. He was good with the way I was living. And that's idolatry. The third commandment says you shall not take God's name in vain. And then it adds to that verse, he who takes his name, he will, he will hold them accountable. Have we ever, have, Pastor David, have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, I have. And it's a serious offense. The Bible says God will not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain. The fourth commandment is what? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Never did that. I had no desire for church. The fifth commandment says honor your mother and father. Have I always obeyed my mom and dad? No, I haven't. The sixth commandment says, you shall not kill. I was like, oh, yes. I got one. I finally found a commandment I've kept. Until I turn into the Gospels and I read where Jesus says, he who hates his brother without cause is what? I'm guilty of being a murder. So I'm like, I'm guilty there. So this is me. I'm looking at myself now. I'm not looking at you. Then we get to the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. I've always been faithful to my wife. But then I read... Or Jesus says, he who looks with lustful thoughts commits adultery in his heart. And what person is not honest, cannot honestly say they haven't broken that commandment? You know, it's more than just saying someone's pretty. It's it's undressing them with your eyes. It's having having fantasies. It's having sexually immoral thoughts. It's like, man, I'm guilty. I'm guilty on all accounts. The uh, eighth commandment is uh, you shall not steal regardless of size or value. Maybe it was stuff downloaded. Guilty. I'm guilty. The ninth commandment says, you shall not lie. I've told a lot of lies in my life. I spent the first 22 years as as, as an unbeliever, and my debt that God's law was declaring against me, it was high, and it was big. And then the tenth commandment says, you shall not covet. Who has not coveted before? Who, Who has not broken that commandment so i pastor david looked at god's moral law and i'm guilty on all accounts and god's law the moral law the ten commandments has issued according to verse 14 has issued a decree against me that this is sin this is our debt to a holy god this is our debt to a holy god we are indebted as sinners we have violated his law, we have broken his commandments. And and, and we will be, all people will be held accountable. But I got good news for you. What did God do with a certificate of debt? Look at the uh, last five words in verse 14. What does it say? He nailed it to the cross. God's law has issued a certificate of debt to all people And if you're a believer, first off, if you're not a believer, that debt is still against you that you've broken God's law because you're not believing in Jesus Christ and your sins aren't forgiven. But, my my friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the debt that was against you from God's law, what does it say in verse 14? Verse 14, he nailed it to the cross so that you and I can be forgiven sin is according to 1st John 3 people say sin is missing the bullseye that's a secular definition I'm, I'm with it I ain't gonna, I'm, I'm cool with it but a biblical definition of sin according to 1st John 3 4 is sin is transgression of the law by our knowledge of the law God's Ten Commandments we understand what sin is and People, you know, what's the purpose of God's moral law today? It serves a purpose. <clears throat> it serves a purpose. The purpose of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, is to show people like it showed me, like hopefully it shows us, <clears throat> our need for a Savior. It shows us why Jesus Christ died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross because you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. He didn't die on the cross so you had love, joy, peace, and lasting happiness and experience God's wonderful plan for your life. He died on the cross because we needed, our debt needed to be paid. The, the, we needed to be reconciled. Now, there's awesome benefits that come after that, and there's blessings, and, and he, he, just, he enriches our life, but the ultimate reason he died on the cross is because, according to verse 14, God's law had a certificate of debt against us, and he paid it all. Amen? So. There it is. Number four, forgiveness. The debt is paid by Calvary. The certificate of debt. We're forgiven. Not because we're a good person. Not because we go to church. But because Jesus died on the cross. That's our righteousness. So let's look at the last one. The last, um, my third category here, as I was studying it this week, is freedom. Freedom. Jesus offers The world freedom. He offers us freedom. It's more than just punching the ticket and going to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But it's a a complete life thing. Let's look at verse 15. With the thought of freedom in mind. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And some of your versions say through him at the cross. The first thing that, we, that you receive freedom from this morning that a believer experiences freedom from is from the power of Satan. From the power of Satan. Jesus disarmed Satan and he disarmed the forces of hell by the cross. By the cross. He disabled them. He, he broke their chains. He broke their bonds. He says in here at the very end of verse 15, having triumphed over them, Through the cross, the pictures of a a Roman general parading his defeated captives. So the Roman general's got this long rope, and he's got all these captives. They're all handcuffed. Their, Their hands are tied to a rope, and their head is down. And he's just marching them across, saying, I've defeated you. And that's what Jesus did to Satan and to his minions. He defeated them so that we could experience freedom. So that the chains could be broken in our life from bondages and and evil and satanic strongholds. He offers people freedom from that. He offers people freedom from the bondages of hell and the bondages of demonic activity. He offers them freedom. And all you and I have to do, believer, is preach the gospel. Just share the truth in love. Just open our mouths and tell them what the scripture says. And if they have a willing, humble heart and they're not prideful and arrogant, and they receive it, he will break those bonds that, that holds them down. So that's number one. Freedom from the power of Satan. Verses 16 and 17. He says, Therefore, let, excuse me, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Number two, what Jesus offers us freedom from is we're free from legalism. We're, we're free from legalism. All those things in the Old Testament, the festivals, uh, the days, the, the um, laws, what did they do? What was their point? They were, to, they were pointing to Christ. The, God's moral law was pointing down at the Israelites. And it was showing them their moral failures. And it was pointing them to the future Messiah who would come. He says there um, at the end of verse 16. He says, or even a Sabbath day. Why are we we free? Before I go there, there's you know there's Ten Commandments. There's one commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament. What is it? The Sabbath. The, the Sabbath commandment, you'll find nine of the Ten Commandments repeated in the New Testament. But you will not find the Sabbath commanded, which was them observe, their observation of the Lord's Day on a Saturday. Today, Christians, we celebrate the Lord's Day. It's what I call Sunday. The Lord's Day because it's when Jesus rose from the grave. But it goes back to the question, why not the Sabbath? According to the author of Hebrews, the reason we don't is because, check this out, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. He is our rest. Amen? He is our rest. He is your rest from toil and labor and guilt and condemnation. You know, the Israelites had to work, 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 do, do, do. It was meant to wear them out so that no Messiah would come. They'd be like, oh, grace. Praise the Lord. He paid the price. So we're free from legalism. You can have your sausage and eat it too. In regard, it says there. Therefore, let no one act in regard to food or drink. But you can have your sausage. You can eat whatever you felt led to eat. Um, and hey, and I, I go to some. Uh, I, I go to. I've gone to some Hanukkah parties and some things where they celebrate Passover, and I think it's beautiful. And I love going to those things, but they have nothing to do with my salvation. or or nothing to do with my relationship with God. It's based on Christ. But I'll go and observe those things and learn from them. They're really cool. I love doing it every Easter. Um, Some friends invite us over, and they do the spread, and it's really cool to do. But again, that's not part of my relationship with God. My relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, and I'm free from, you are free. We are free from legalism. Verse 18, he says, Let no one keep defrauding you, Of your prize by delighting in abasement, in self-abasement, in the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Uh, Self-abasement, that's uh, that's, that's false humility. That's false humility. That's this humbler-than-thou attitude when you you don't understand the gospel. It's a a religious piety. It's like a holier-than-thou attitude. Uh, free from the worship of angels. The, you know, the Gnosticism was saying, hey, you need to add angels to your worship. You can worship Jesus, but worship these guys too. And Paul's saying, nope, Christ is enough. Jesus is enough. He says, taking a stand, he says, uh, this is really hard, uh, very poignant statement that Paul is making to the Colossians at the very end. He says, inflated? Without cause by his fleshly mind, what is he talking about here? This is guilty, gross, spiritual pride, is what Paul is talking about here. It's being very, very religious, but with no God in your, with no true and living God in your life. So the third one that we're free from, that I believe that these things come out of, where people get this stuff from is we're free from non-biblical teaching. We're free from non-biblical teaching. When it comes to theology, and it comes to uh, things that you put in your heart, guess what? The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible has everything we need for life and godliness. It contains everything. There's nothing it doesn't address. And on top of that, what it points us to is that our relationship with Christ is enough. Enough. Our relationship with Christ is enough. You know, we have to be Bereans. When you hear somebody saying things that don't sound right, you need to be a Berean and diligently study the Scripture to see if what they're saying is correct. They did it with Paul, then we do it with everybody. You should do it with me. You should do it if you go to a conference and you listen to a speaker speak, a Christian conference, some whatever. You need to have your Bible with you. Maybe on your phone or in your book, but you need to saying... Is what he's saying biblical? Is it it true? Does it line up with scripture? we got so much non-biblical teaching floating in and out of Christianity. It's it's like a wind. It's like a doctrinal wind. It blows in and it blows out. It blows in and it blows out. And we have to be mindful. This is our God's word. And we have to be very protective and be Bereans. And Paul's saying here, all this stuff that's, this self-abasement, this worship of angels, this inflated without cause of his fleshly mind—this was coming from others. This was coming from other sources than Scripture. And Paul says, "We don't need it. We don't need it. We we have the Word of God." Hebrews four twelve is for living and active is sharper than a double-edged sword. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen for all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. You know, it's, it's God's word to us. And and it and it blesses us, and God's word protects us. You know how do you keep, how do you keep yourself from deception? How do you keep yourself from being deceived? Because we're, man, we're, we're the Bible describes us as, as lambs and sheep for a reason, because lamb and sheep aren't very smart. And I'm in there too, but we, but we are we get we get led astray to the left and right. That's why He's given us this written document, the Bible. So it's a full foolproof way to make sure we're walking in the truth and we're standing in the truth by staying in his word in the middle ages what caused the mess of the church of england and europe what 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 happened that caused these teachings of purgatory and paying for your salvation and all this government and and, and church being mixed together it, it was a train wreck what, what caused it they got away from the bible they got away from the Bible, and the Bible protects us and keeps us from non-biblical teaching. Let's look at verse 19. Let's finish it up here. Verse 19, he says, And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows grows with a growth which is from God. There it is, guys. That's what we do. We hold fast to the head of the church. In the head is Jesus Christ. This could be said at a corporate level. This could be said at an individual level. Man, just trust in your Christ. Trust in your Lord Jesus. That's that's how we avoid all this nonsense, unbiblical teaching. That's how we avoid legalism. That's how we keep ourselves free from bondage. Is we hold fast to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and, and, and on top of that, he says, Is God who holds it all together. That's what he's saying in verse 19. God who holds the entire body of Christ together. Verse 20, he says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, let's continue through verse 23, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch which all refer to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and sever treatment of the body but are of no value against the fleshly indulgence what is paul saying in verses 20 through 23 Paul, in this passage, is putting the death nail to anything else. Anything else that stands in the way of knowing Christ. And anything else that would say Christ is not sufficient. Because Christ is sufficient. And his word is sufficient. And it is everything we need. He says in there, verse 20, things, other things out there. This, this is other things out there. These, these are... Um, Stumbling blocks, things that people will throw in your path to keep you away from pure devotion to Jesus Christ. In verse 20, he says, the elementary principles of this world. Principles that we had before we came to Christ. In verse 20, decrees. Verse 21, where he, things that say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 22, the commandments and teachings of who? Men. The commandments and teachings of men. There's nothing equal with the Bible. The Bible stands alone because it's God's word. And then verse 23, self-made religion. We got a lot of that going on in the world. We got a lot of people just making up stuff. People just making up stuff. Uh, by the way, just so you know, there, there's two religions in the world. Uh, there's, two, there's only two religions in the world. There's God's word and man's word. That's what it basically boils down to. We have God's word and man's word. Man's word's got thousands of different strands. But you got the Bible, the time-tested book throughout all eternity, throughout time, that gives us the truth. Of And Paul here is, is, is nailing anything that would stand in the way of pure devotion to Christ. And he's nailing anything that, would, uh, that, that these Gnostics or these false teachers that were coming to the church at Colossae, anything that they could use against the believers there, that would pull them away from devotion to Christ. I think I said this last week or the week before, but it's this, guys. Simple devotion to Christ. And when you say you're devoted to Christ, we need to add this to it because this is part of it. When you are devoted to Jesus Christ, you are saying you are devoted to his word. You are devoted to his word. You can't separate the two. You can't separate uh, God's word and your devotion to scripture from your devotion to Christ because it's through the Bible that we've been given uh, our information of who Jesus is. It's through that third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that he, the Holy Spirit, used the apostles and the prophets to write down scripture. This is it, guys. This is the foundation of Christianity. The foundation of Christianity is not found in do's and don'ts, but it's found in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? I, I began my sermon with what does Christ offer the world? This is what he offers. He offers fullness, forgiveness, and freedom. There's certain things the world can give you in this life, okay? There are certain things, but one thing the world cannot give you, it, ha- it doesn't have the ability to, it doesn't have It does not have the ability to give you fullness, forgiveness, and freedom. So, man, let that truth penetrate deep and let it drive you to Christ. Let it drive you to Christ. Some of you guys may be struggling, going through difficult times. Man, get into the Word. Get into the Word and let God's Word get into your heart. And let these truths soak in. A lot of times you're already there. You just need to convince your mind. And you just got to get into God's word and read it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And let these truths sink in deep. It it makes for such a joyful, solid life to be founded on the rock. That's where we want to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that through our relationship with you, Lord Jesus, that we can experience fullness, we can experience forgiveness, and we can experience freedom. God, thank you for that, because you died on the cross. You, 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 you took care of our certificate of debt that was against us, and you've forgiven us. Lord, I pray for um, every believer that's here this morning that um, maybe they've been wrestling with these areas, I pray, Lord, that you'll bring this truth home to them, Lord, in their devotion to you and their study of your word, that they'll understand that they have fullness, forgiveness, and freedom. And, Lord, if there's someone that's here that's not saved, that's not born again, I pray that you'll give them a deep hunger and a deep desire to receive you as their Lord and Savior. (coughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.